you ever thrown you a curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that someone is me and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who've been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney Travato, and this is the Living Your Legacy Podcast. Hello, everybody. Michelle Slaney Travato here, and I am so excited to have you back for another episode of the Living Your Legacy Show. You know, it's been on my mind and heart lately that. When people have more than one child, one of the things that we always wonder is, are we giving enough to each of our children? It's a thing. We question it. We, we wonder about it. Sometimes we do stuff about it. Sometimes it just stays as a thought. Um, and if you have a child with disabilities and you have another child that does not have disabilities, this becomes quite the teeter-totter. And I'm totally dating myself there by saying that it's quite the teeter-totter on that one. Because if you're like me, I have a son with disabilities and they're great and consistent and require a lot of me to meet his needs. And then I have a son without disabilities, and but his needs are important too, and they're consistent. And so I need to be able to find the balance between the two. And sometimes it's really hard to do. Today's guest is here to give us a really unique perspective on that whole situation. And I've asked her very specifically if it would be okay for us to talk about that. But before I tell you what's going on, I want to introduce her to you. I'd love to take a minute to tell you all about my friend, Nancy Paradise. We met through a networking group and her name came up to me once I launched this, this show, I don't know, probably nine or 10 times by nine or 10 different people who said, you need to know her. Her story is so inspiring that you're going to want to talk to her. And when I did... I understood why those nine or 10 people wanted me to meet her. So Nancy is a wife. She's a mom. She's a Nana. She's a full-time employee and an entrepreneur. I mean, as if that wasn't enough. She is the former Mrs. Minnesota International. And there's a whole story there, but we're not going to touch that one today. And she is 15 years on staff at Special Olympics, Minnesota, and a sibling to a special needs brother. So today I'm going to get her to talk about being that sibling, what that was like for her growing up, how she, how did the family dynamics work? I'd love for you to gush on your brother a little bit and tell us about him. And then I want, she's got a story she wants to share with us, a very recent one about Special Olympics. So we've got lots of juicy things to talk about today. But first I want to say welcome, Nancy. I am so excited you're here. Well, thanks, Michelle. Your energy is unbelievable. 
Well, I just think your story is so inspiring and it it resonates with me on a deeply personal level because I have one son with disabilities and one without. And in most cases, when I'm talking to parents, it's parents of people with disabilities. And so we talk that part, raising those children, how we do that juggle. It's rare that I have a conversation with either a parent of an able-bodied neurotypical child and a disabled child or a child with special needs, because I don't like the term disabled very much. I think we diss their abilities when we say that they are disabled. So a, a child with special needs, it is so rare to talk to a sibling. And to hear your perspective on on all of this, because that is a third viewpoint in any house, right? You have the person with the special needs, you have the parents, and then you have the other child or children. And I really wanted to give you a chance to talk about that. So tell us a little bit first about your brother and where you fall in the mix, older, younger, and all that kind of fun stuff. So let's start with that. Tell us about your brother. All right. So Dave is, um, today he's 57 years old and I'm older. (laughs) By about two days. That's it. He, He is funny. He introduces me to people and he'll say, this is Nancy, my slightly older sister. Oh, we like him already. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but it's, it's a little bit more than slightly, but that's okay. Cause I'm the oldest of five and he's the second youngest. Okay. Um, And so I was, well, I'll just tell you, I was around, I was about seven when he was born and he had um, seizures and high fevers when he was little back then we called them convulsions. I don't Mm -hmm. know why. And, uh, and so by 18 months old, he was in the hospital at another time. And um, I used, I mean, I used to get called sometimes at school because my parents had to pick me up to go take care of my baby sister who right. was younger than Dave. So that I was a big part of that whole, uh, whole story there. But that, at that point at 18 months old, mom was at the hospital and uh, she went to the nurse's station to ask the doctor, you know, what's Dave's prognosis. And <laughs> this is over the phone. So heartless. Um, he just said, Mrs. Persons, don't you know David is retarded? <laughs> it was so I that is this. heartbreaking right yeah. there. Yeah. So I didn't know this at the time. You know, I was only eight, eight, nine or, or nine years old. So mom didn't share that story then. But as an adult, she shared that story. She turned, dropped the phone and went to um, saw her friend coming down the hallway at the hospital and just ran into her, her arms and cried on her shoulder. And then they were giving David um, penicillin. They didn't know he was allergic to it at the time, almost died. And also this doctor had also told my parents to put him in an institution, which that's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. But um, they said no. But anyway, um, another doctor, and I'm going to say his name because he was our hero, Dr. Sherman Hoyt. I don't even know who the first doctor is. I don't know what his name was, but he saved Dave's life because he realized that he was allergic to the penicillin. And Later on, mom was sitting in the office with Dr. Hoyt and just said, you know, this other doctor, he said, Dave is retarded and I, I don't know what to do about this. And he just said, Carol, look it up in the dictionary. It just means slow. Mm-hmm. And that helped her get through that. And so Dave then started a Montessori school. We had a really nice, a really good school right in our um, our city. And we were very blessed to be in a great school district too. So then when he started kindergarten in the regular school district, um, he was in special ed all through there and graduated from Edina High School. So if anybody is listening that knows about Edina, Minnesota, <laughs> it's a really, really top school district. So uh, I still can remember 
sitting at the, the football stadium and seeing Dave walk across stage and getting that diploma. And of course, we were all sobbing because you know, we never thought we would see that day. Mm-hmm. So growing up as the big sister, um, for some reason, the two of us just bonded right away. You know, we had three other siblings, but the two of us were super close. And my I remember my girlfriend and I walking up and down the street when he was two and a half. He still wasn't walking. His motor skills were quite behind. And we were up and down the street, we'd let go of his hands, he'd fall. Up and down the street, we'd let go, he'd fall. All of a sudden, one day, we're in the living room at my house. Dave is standing in between my legs, like holding on to my knees. And my girlfriend is across the room in another chair. And we were kind of ignoring him. You know, we were just like chatting, whatever. All of a sudden, he just took off across the room to my girlfriend, walked all by himself. So mom ran and got the Polaroid camera. He got the first step on a Polaroid. We still have that picture today. Um, so just, you know, I, I helped him learn to tie his shoes. I helped when I came back from college, I helped him get his checking account open just, you know, cause when, you know, living with mom and dad, um, they didn't see things quite in the same perspective that I did when I, after I went away to, uh, to college mm-hmm. and I would come home and go, Oh, well, Dave should be doing this. And Dave should be doing this. And he worked for the family business. My dad had service stations and was a really, really awesome entrepreneur. And, um, and Dave got to work at the family business. So that was really awesome. And, uh, but then, but because he didn't have those motor skills, mom and dad didn't think that Special Olympics was for him. It started in Minnesota in 1973. Mm-hmm. So he would have been, my math is right, he, he would have been old enough to start when he was eight years old. Mm-hmm. So it was about a year into Special Olympics, he could have joined, but it, it just, we didn't think it was for him. Mm-hmm. And dad would always bug me and say, could can you find something for Dave in a social thing? You know, he was so afraid of him not having friends and not mm-hmm. having that social life after he graduated from high school. And I didn't even know that Special Olympics was could have been that answer. You know, mm-hmm. so I was calling ARC. I was calling all these places. And, they, and even they would say, oh, it sounds like your brother kind of falls through the cracks. Mm. Really? <laughs> Thanks for, for not helping. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so then I started volunteering for Special Olympics. And just briefly, then this is Minnesota comes into this because that's how I got involved as a platform. And so this, the president at the time was just thrilled that I was an advocate for Special Olympics all around the state of Minnesota. And I was brought, I brought Dave to an event. Um, he wasn't, still wasn't involved. And he got to meet the the manager of the Minnesota Twins because it was a, this little PSA we were doing with one of our athletes. And we're driving home and he's driving. He, he struck out his license when he was 19. And so he's driving home and, and I just said, okay, Dave, I know you don't like to be pushed into things and I don't, I don't want to like bug you about this, but I really think you really love Special Olympics and you love to bowl. Um, so let's, you know, maybe we could just start that. I could be your partner, even though I'm really a horrible bowler, but it would be fun. And I said, but if you don't want me to say another word, I will not, I'll shut up and I won't ever bring it up again. It's a long pause as he was driving and goes, I might be a little interested. Oh. So I picked up my flip phone and I called mom and said, mom, call the doctor, make an appointment, get a physical for Dave. I'm going to find a team for him. We're going to start this and see what happens. But I was so excited. So um, just a really quick story about the first season that we were bowling. I, again, I'm bowling is not my thing, but we had a ton of fun and we would get the, the fourth place ribbon or the fifth place ribbon. And you don't get a medal unless you do first, second or third. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, so upset with myself. I really wanted Dave to get that medal. 
And then finally we did um, a doubles match with another athlete and his brother. And so we finished the match. And when you're, when you're out there bowling, you don't really know where you're placing. You don't, you don't really pay attention. They bring you into the awards room and that's when they tell you, Oh, get up on this place and this place. So they, they called us up for third place. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, Dave, we're going to get a medal. It was way more excited than he was. And so he got up on the the platform and I stayed on the floor, stood in front of him. And when the woman came around and put the medal around his neck, I I looked up behind me to see him at Sunk on his chest and he just glowed. And I knew that I had found Dave's place <laughs> and it was just awesome. So little by little, we, he was doing the bocce, then he started golf and he's even done powerlifting. His personal best in the deadlift is 295 pounds. He never thought he would do wow. that in his life. Um, so all these things that he never thought he could do, he did. But the biggest, the biggest change that I think that came about was when he trained to be a global messenger. And I said, you know, and every time I would suggest things, he would just look at me and go, I could never, yeah, I could never do that. Well, when my, one of my coworkers would say, Dave, you should be a global messenger. And he was like, Nancy, so-and-so thinks I should do this. I go, really? I've been telling you about that for about a year. So, <laughs> so he went up to the training and I went up the last day where the, all the athletes had a chance to share their speeches that they worked on with their mentor during the, the weekend. And I, I said, Dave, I'm going to sit in the back of the room. Do not look at me because I know I'll be crying. And so I don't want you to see me because they were videotaping the whole thing. So the other athletes got up one by one and did their speeches. They all had their notes. They all did a great job. He gets up there and he's looking directly at me. I'm like hiding behind the person in front of me and no notes. He totally memorized the speech, got up there, said it perfectly, talked about dad not being there because he had already passed away, you know, and so he wasn't there and that he really wanted to make dad proud. And I'm like sobbing in the back of the room. I'm like, don't look at me. And I was like, who are you? What, what is this? So now we, he goes all around um, the city speaking to different groups. He's done trainings for um, police departments because they have a huge, huge partnership with our law enforcement. (laughs) And he's got friends from law enforcement, friends from staff, friends from all the athletes, and and just has completely changed his life, completely transformed it. And I just, I know, I know dad's proud of me for finally finding that place for Dave. (laughs) Love that. And I'm all emotional here just listening (laughs) to your story, too. Not to cry. Well, that's okay. You can, um, because that is so impactful. And for our audience listening, I'm sure they heard what I heard. When I said you could gush about your brother, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. The pride that you feel in your brother, how well you know your brother, like in the car. Now I know that if I push you, so if you never want to hear this again, I won't bring it up. Right. Um, And then you talked about what he looked like when that metal hit his chest and all the realizations he's had in his own life about his own possibilities. Um, And all I hear is a proud big sister talking over and over and over again about her extraordinary little brother. (laughs) And and that's so for those of you on the podcast, you can't see this, but like, I'm going to need a tissue um, because because this is just it hits so close to home for me. And it's so beautiful and impactful. And I just want you to know that 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 just makes me feel 
so good to hear you talk about your brother that way. You know, clearly in the media, stories like yours don't make it very often. It's, you know, negativity and, and, and grossness sells, right? People like the salacious as opposed to the heartwarming. And so, you know, you hear these stories of people who are angry or resentful at their siblings and their parents and all of that. What we don't hear is voices like yours Mm -hmm. who talk about the blessing of having a brother who was different, of being involved in his life, your entire life, right? Holding his hand and helping him walk. And, you know, I'm sure there was nights that you helped with his homework. You didn't allude to that, but I'm pretty sure they were in there. Yes. Right. And dealing with bumps and bruises and interpersonal things and the weirdness of teenagers and the angst of where do I fit in and all that other stuff. You were there for all of it. And I know that you had briefly mentioned at the end there that your father had wondered where your brother's place was going to be. You're right. Different generations, they see the world very differently. And some of the things they heard that you shared at the beginning of your story are really disheartening, um, heartbreaking, actually, to hear medical professionals referring to your brother in such a derogatory term and really just wanting to dismiss him almost as less than human. Um, But yet... There are these other professionals who are like, hang on now, mm-hmm. hold on a second. That word doesn't have to mean the end of the world. Exactly. It just means things are going to be different. Mm-hmm. So let's look at that. Um, and sometimes those professionals are out there. I certainly have had my share of amazing professionals in my Absolutely. corner on my team supporting my family. So you got to, you're right. The guy who was not so nice, don't even remember his name because it isn't worth remembering, frankly. Right, right. Because it would just make the rest of us mad at him anyway. Um, (laughs) You want to shine a light on the people who give you hope. The people who look at, okay, well, this is what is, but let's talk about what's possible. So I love that. So talk to me a little bit now, now that we've shared about your brother and your introduction into the Special Olympics. What was the journey like to get your work in there? Uh, well, go back a, a far, far a long time ago when I, I went to college to be a special ed teacher because I that was my life. I loved everything about it. Met my husband my sophomore year, got married um, after two and a half years of college and got pregnant a month after the wedding and said I was going to go back to school when the baby was a year old. She's 42 now. Uh, so, <laughs> so God had different plans for me. It's, it was okay. Um, but then fast forward to moving back to Minnesota from Arizona, um, had our third child here in, in, in Minnesota. And when he was in fifth grade, I had the chance to be a para at his elementary school. And my other son was in middle school at the time. And five years that I... It was just amazing. I mm-hmm. loved it. I was one-on-one with a little girl with Down syndrome, and um, but ended up working with the whole classroom. And so my last year there was when I ran for Mrs. Minnesota and um, had to leave because I was also helping my husband open up a restaurant. But that led to um, uh, the, the president of Special Olympics at the time asked me to be on the board of directors. And I was like, I, I'm not a nobody. I don't have, I'm not a corporate person. I'm not, have to bring, I'm not going to be bringing in these big bucks or anything, but she saw something in me that I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And she, um, so I was on the board of directors for five years. And I can remember at one point, at one meeting, um, the chairman of the board, super, super great guy, but he was talking about it's the end of the year. It's time to, you know, make sure we, um, all as board members 
you know, made our donation that we promised that we would. So, you know, at least $5,000. Like, what? I know what Linda had never, the president had never told me that. And so she must have seen me. I must have made some kind of face, you know, and um, and so she saw that. And she, after the president or the chairman finished talking, she, as the president said, yes, the uh, the monetary or the financial commitment of the board is very important. But what's even more important to me is the time commitment of our board members. And I was probably the only one at the time that was volunteering all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, and that kind of, and I was the first board member to plunge for the polar plunge. And now all of board members plunge. So it's like, almost all of them. So it's and it became a thing after I did it first. So then this position came up and I had one more year left to be on the board. And I was working at a bank and I got an email from one of the staff members that knew me. And she said, Nancy, this position came open and I read it. And I'm like, did they write this about me? I mean, it was like crazy about wow. it. Was, the whole thing was my skill set from since I was a little girl, because I used to help mom and dad with their business and their, you do their bookkeeping. And um, so I'm like, oh my gosh, I maybe I should try to get this. And so I went through the whole interview process and every single one of the leadership, they were all, you're on the board of directors. You really want to work here? <laughs> they just they couldn't believe it. I'm like, yes, this is like my dream job. What are you talking about? So now it's been 15 years. And so 20 years really with Special Olympics Minnesota. And um it's and I so can I go into my highlight of my list? Yes, you okay. absolutely can. So that's kind of the segue because um I, I've loved, I, I love my job. I know it's, it's, it's the board. I, nobody else wants my job. It's taking care of all the money that comes into the organization. So I've had a computer eight hours a day, but because we're on staff, we're on all hands on deck, um, all the competitions. In fact, I just spent eight hours on Sunday on timing the state swim competition, which I loved. It was so much fun. All the, all the athletes that know me personally, their, their goal is to get out of the pool when they're done swimming and come run and get me soaking wet. This is <laughs> that's awesome. Big, big hugs, big hugs. So, um, so it was just a really, really fun, fun. So day. no dry clean only clothes that day. No, 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 not at all. No. <laughs> um, but super fun. This is my, so I love that, that we can be, that staff is part of that, um, engaging with the athletes that way. That's my favorite part of the job, but I'm also glad that it can be an important part of the organization. So during COVID, I was that critical employee that came in that whole year by myself taking care of it. So that I'm, I'm glad that I can be a bit, an important part, but, um, anyway, two weeks, two weekends ago, um, I had the absolute honor and privilege of flying to New York with our two world games athletes. Um, Tiffany and Matthew. Um, Tiffany is um, artistic gymnastics and Matthew is a swimmer. And I just met them briefly before we were going to meet at the airport just so that they knew who I was and all that kind of stuff. Because I, I knew their faces, but I had never really met them. So we um, get to the airport and I'm. we decided we we're going to meet at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning. And he, Matthew came with his parents and uh, Tiffany came with her mom. And eight police officers <laughs> came walking towards me and I'm like, oh my gosh. So it's like a little before 5am on a Saturday morning. And here comes Matthew and Tiffany with this escort of police officers and, and, the, and a TSA agent. And so, <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So Matthew works part-time at the St. Paul police department mm-hmm. and they surprised him at his house at 4:30 in the morning and gave him a flashing light police escort all the way to the airport. So what? he was 
ecstatic. I mean, he was just, like, it was just so fun. So then they got out of their cars and walked him into the airport too. So, so we all could be a part of that. So that's, that was the, that was the first thing. Then this TSA agent is like, okay, I don't know why he's here with us, but that's fine. We'll figure this out. So he brings us, helps us take our luggage, takes us over to this other place where there's no line, gets our bags checked in, walks us through the employee only line for the security. <laughs> there's no line. And so we you know, had to go through security like everybody else, but there was no line. Get to the other side of security and there's two motorized carts there. And the one driver looks at me and she goes, oh, are you Nancy? <laughs> like, Yes. And she said, Oh, well, we're here to take you to the Delta Sky Club for <gasps> breakfast. I'm like, What? So, my coworker who had asked me to do this had just said, You should get there probably at five in the morning. Your flight's at seven. That way, you can, in case there's a long line of sec- at security, you can get through that. And then, if you can just buy Matthew and Tiffany breakfast with your company card, you know, then that'll be great. So, I, that is our, I'll, we, that's what we think we're going to do this, this time. No, 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 no line. Now we're going to get a free breakfast at the Delta Sky Club. So we, they motorize us over to there. It's up. They take the elevator upstairs. It's a brand new Sky Club at Minneapolis Airport. They have balloons and signs for Tiffany and Matthew. Congratulations for going to World Games for Special Olympics for Special Olympics USA. And um, got this beautiful breakfast. It was just amazing that they have all the staff up there. Wanted pictures with them. It was so. I mean, they felt like you know superstars, which they are. And um, so then they, they go back down the elevator, and there's our carts waiting for us again. They take us to Terminal A for our gate. There's balloons and signs there too. All the passengers are like looking at them, like what's going on? They're all cheering them on. And the pilot gets off the plane and comes to greet them. Person. No way. And, yes. And wants a picture with them. So they're they're dying. They're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And it was so nice that their parents could come to the gate with us, which is really, really special. So so the two moms are crying by this point. Because, of course. Yeah. Because, and, now, and now I have to take take their children, even though they're they're grown children. But um, so then I get to the the ticket agent, and I had been disappointed because Special Olympics USA sent me the three tickets. And then I had to go ahead and select the seats. Well, by the time they sent them to me, there were no seats left except in the back of the plane. Right. So I was, t- I warned him, I go, I'm so sorry. We're in the back of the plane, but that's okay. We'll still have fun and whatever. Get to the ticket agent. I give her the plane passes and she goes, been oh, upgraded to Comfort Plus. Oh my gosh. So, so Tiffany screams. I mean, she was so excited. So this is Delta at Minneapolis airport. They went beyond anything they had to do. So it's I it's my goal this week to figure out who put this all in place and make sure that they get noticed for this because it was incredible. So um, I got to look at my notes, make sure I don't forget anything to tell you here. Um, oh yeah, so then we get on the plane and the pilot comes on the um, microphone and says, you know, I want to help everybody cheer for Matthew and Tiffany. They're going to Germany for world games. So the whole plane is cheering for them. And so then he had told them when you get when you get off the plane, stop at the cockpit so I can show you the cockpit and you know just and say goodbye. So Tiffany peeks in. She wasn't you know wasn't that impressed. <laughs> she she goes off the plane. So I'm with, there with Matthew. He gets in there. The pilot had no idea. Matthew's love is planes. He can look up in the sky and go, oh, that's a 767 DL92. I mean, he knows exactly what the, what plane it is, you know. Right. And um, so he's in there. He gets a selfie with the pilot in the cockpit. So he's all excited. So the two of us meet Tiffany out of the door now. And, you know, usually go to the right, take the jetway out to the airport. 
But there's a gentleman there right at the door with a sign with Tiffany's name and saying, the three of you need to follow me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Not down the jetway, out the little service door, down the steps onto the tarmac where our private car is. <gasps> oh my gosh. What? So the guy's taking pictures of us with the car. You get in the, 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 Tiffany and Matthew don't even know what to do. They're just like they're beyond ecstatic. They are so excited. So the gal's driving us all around the tarmac. I don't know where we're going. They could be kidnapping us for all we know. <laughs> and, and she drives all the way past all the, through the airplanes to the, and she takes us right to the front door, sidewalk where the baggage claim is. So we get out. The gentleman helps us get our, all our bags on a cart. He's explaining, he gets us up to the second level where the air train is, and that's going to take us to the hotel. So he's explaining all this to your left, blah, blah, blah. And so I go, I just have to ask you, we have all of our athletes from 46 different states flying into New York today to go to Germany tomorrow. Are you doing this for everybody? <laughs> I was, oh no, you were chosen. Wow. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. So we had a wonderful time. Um, again, I'm checked in at the hotel, got their rooms. They were, had roommates that they had met in San Antonio for their training when they met their teammates from the, all the other states. And then I got them checked in with uh, Special Olympics USA. Um, it, was, it was the whole experience was just amazing. And then they had a send off dinner that night that the hotel put on amazing guest speakers. I mean, I cried almost the whole dinner. It was just, it was just <laughs> the, the athlete that sang the national anthem started it off. He would, he, I found out later that he's classically trained in opera. It's this big guy, like over six feet tall, just this big, I don't know if he was like a basketball player or whatever. And he's from South Carolina and he sang, everybody said that was the most amazing rendition in their whole life that they'd ever heard of the national anthem. And I agree with them. It was mm -hmm. just amazing. We were all crying after the national anthem. So the whole thing, the speakers, the inspiration, the stories, unbelievable. There's one I'm going to mention, mention briefly um, because if anybody's, if anybody's watching the world games now, it's on ESPN all week. They're, they're broadcasting all the sports all week. It's so exciting. But um, Loretta Claiborne, she's kind of like the, she's known as the ambassador, the inspiration, what they gave her a title, the inspiration officer um, of Special Olympics. She's going to be 70 years old. She's been doing Special Olympics for 53 years. Beautiful black woman. And she is now competing in Berlin in tennis at almost 70 years old. So, I mean, the story, oh, girl, yeah, unbelievable stories. So wow. she was in it. She was interviewed on, um, on ABC when they, for the opening ceremonies on Saturday. So it was really, really cool. Um, so I want to make sure I don't forget anything here. Da, 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 da. Okay. Um, oh, they, so that, yeah, the dinner was delicious. And then, uh, the next morning was the, um, send up breakfast. So we had, it was the outdoors next to the TWA plane that's parked mm -hmm. in the in the backyard of the hotel. <laughs> that's crazy. Like you would. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, so I got to meet some more people and, um, and then I didn't know when, so Matthew, right when I saw him first thing Sunday morning, he was like, when do we have to say goodbye? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I haven't quite figured this out. I kind of flying by the seat of my pants because we didn't really have much direction because there weren't that many chaperones. Most of the people were flying to Germany. So, so only some of us had to fly back home. 
And I said, Mark, my flight's around the same time as yours to Berlin. So I'm going to see if they'll let me check in with you and, and go to your gate and see if I can say goodbye there. So we'll, we'll figure this out. So um, we're in the, they went to go check in with the whole big group um, check-in. And I said to one of the gals, I go, I'm going to Minnesota. <laughs> I'm going to Berlin. Can I still check in with my athletes and then, you know, say goodbye to them after we get, get through security? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of you. So got them through security, um, got them through there. And Delta had a special lunch for them there, too. And so I, I got to eat a lunch with them. <laughs> it was wow. amazing. And I'm not talking about you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I mean, chicken marsala, sal, yeah, sal. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was just unbelievable. So I sat with them for lunch one more time. And then I finally had to say, okay, my terminal, I have to go to another one, Matthew. So it's time to say goodbye. And we're all teary-eyed saying goodbye. And the whole time, Matthew and Tiffany kept saying, could you just come to Germany with us? <laughs> You're like, oh, I wish. I know, I wish I could. I wish I could. But I, I found out from my coworker that asked me to do this. She's the, our program senior program director. Um, that she that nobody wants to do this job of chaperoning. I'm like, oh my gosh, I this is the most. I think it was the highlight of my 20 years of being involved with Special Olympics Minnesota. It was mm -hmm. it was amazing. So wow. um, so yeah, that was my my brief my brief little story about going to New York, and I get to go back next this coming Sunday, and they get they fly in on Monday morning, and then we fly back on Monday. So That's I get to bring extraordinary. Them, I get to bring them so can you imagine how excited they're going to be when they get off that plane? I guess. Oh my gosh, they're going to have so many stories to tell everybody. Exactly. And That's... Matthew's already sent me about 90 pictures on WhatsApp. So. <laughs> <laughs> that totally seems appropriate, I have to say. Exactly. Totally seems appropriate. Thank you for being a part of the Living Your Legacy podcast community in 2022. We can honestly say 2023 is going to be an exciting year. We've got some new things going on that we'd like to share with you. The Living Your Legacy podcast is now offering advertising spots. We found many entrepreneurs spent lots of money on advertising last year, only to find that they weren't falling in front of their ideal audience. We'd love to help you get your message out. Let's discuss this. Click the link in the show notes to book a time to chat and see if this could be a good fit for you. So now that story is completely inspiring. And, you know, it would be inspiring if these were athletes without disabilities. Absolutely. But both of these athletes have disabilities, correct? Yes. And the fact that ESPN is treating this finally after decades, they're treating Special Olympics as a sporting event. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm -hmm. It totally is. And so, again, for context, uh, we were talking about this off air. There's a whole story that I have to share in another episode that's connected to Special Olympics that... Um, we'll probably have me crying just telling the story, exactly. um, but it's so profound because so many young people and adults with disabilities, they're truly a marginalized part of society. Mm -hmm. You know, they, you, you're not seeing them in the spotlight very often. You certainly don't hear about a lot of their feats, um, you know, like your brother, like my son, mm -hmm. it takes them twice as much effort to get halfway, sometimes at best, as close to what somebody else can do. Right. And so for many of them, 
average sports is out. They are just not coordinated enough, strong enough, skilled enough. Maybe they don't understand. So there might be some cognitive challenges around the rules. Maybe they're, they can't quite keep up with like, say, for example, in football, all the plays that you have to know, right? right? They might not be able to remember all that. And so they just, they don't fit in average sporting events, right? Except as in my case, for many years as a spectator to be there to cheer on others. And oftentimes they do wholeheartedly <laughs> cheer on the people they adore and love and, and feel connected to, and they want to see them succeed and everybody else. They want everybody to succeed um, nice. and, and be amazing. So let's talk a little about if people are unfamiliar with Special Olympics, what does this organization actually do? Well, it's it really, it's not just sports, it's a movement. And so, especially right now, it's a movement of inclusion and the schools now are huge of getting um, their, their peers involved with them and doing um, a unified sports, mm-hmm. which is what I started with my brother 19 years ago. That was what we did. It's called unified. And now we have over 250, what we call um, uh, champion schools in mm-hmm. Minnesota that are doing this unified sports. So it's so it's really that movement of inclusion and making everybody um, be able to show their abilities rather than their disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, people still ask me, you know, when when is Special Olympics? It's like, it, it, anyone in Minnesota, when is Mrs. Minnesota, I would, you know, speak all the time about it. And I go, people, <laughs> it's not just, because in their mind it's summer, Right. Like, like the winter Olympics and the summer Olympics. Right. Exactly. Um, But we have, um, we offer right now, I think we have 17 sports that we're offering in Minnesota. Different states have different numbers of sports that they offer. Um, But we have something almost every, I mean, we don't have a break as staff, (laughs) (laughs) which which we love. Mm -hmm. Um, So summer games. So this weekend was gymnastics and swimming. This next, so we two summer games now for us is two weekends. And this next one is basketball and track. And then we'll have softball and bocce. And so there's not a month hardly that we don't have something um, that's mm-hmm. going on. So it really is just that movement and helping um, it, helping people realize that they can be in, be included in everything and do things that their mm-hmm. peers were doing that they weren't didn't think that they could. Mm-hmm. And when you see their faces again, when see my brother's face when that medal hit his um, chest, I see it all the time with other athletes too. They are just. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it just makes them feel that they belong, I guess. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it is something that people can participate in as an athlete, but not necessarily have to compete. Not everybody, exactly. like there are competitions to make it to the level um, that your athletes went to and not everybody gets there, but they do right. have very inclusive trainings. So if you want to go play basketball, you just go be a part of Special Olympics if you have the disabilities and you go play basketball. You learn the skills of playing exactly. basketball. You can go learn the skills of playing bocce. It's a great way to be um, healthy and active. And it's a community for them of sameness. Um, in so many cases, there are small groups of kids, say, for example, in schools, the larger population of the school is able-bodied neurotypical. And so they're a small little group where they go to the trainings for the Special Olympics stuff. And the neurotypical able-bodied people are the minority. 
It's completely flipped around, but they come from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all skill sets, all disabilities, all abilities, and they come together to do this. And if they've got an aptitude for those particular sports, then they're encouraged to go on and compete and actually go to events where they represent, whether that's their, their state, their province in Canada, their country, right? Whether, whatever they're doing to represent, they get to do. Um, And it is pretty extraordinary. And I can speak to that as a parent. Uh, My son is connected to Special Olympics. Um, he loves bowling and, uh, he went last year and there was a gentleman that he gravitated to every time we went in, he is 92 and a bowler Oh my God. and he talks nonstop <laughs> and my son doesn't say very much. And my son like loved him. Oh he my always God. wanted to be his partner in bowling. That's so <laughs> and- funny. And here's this like 15 year old with a guy who is in his 90s. And for me, it was so cool to be able to have that kind of a role model for my son to say, as you become an adult, you can continue in this, that you have a whole community of people around you. Um, within Special Olympics. And then there's all the sort of extras like me who are, you know, the family members, you know, we all kind of rally around everyone. Absolutely. Like, do you need a ride home? You're 92. It's 10 o'clock, maybe a bit past your bedtime. I don't know when the bus is coming. Can I just drive you home? Exactly. You know, people who just kind of rise to the occasion. And you're right. It's so inspiring. When you're surrounded by people who want nothing but everybody to succeed, they're there to support each other. Yes, it's a competition, but more than that, it's a friendship and a community, right? It's a worldwide community Mm -hmm. that they are a part of who sees them for who they are. Right. Exactly. Right. Not what they're not or can't but who they are and what they can contribute. And that's extraordinary. And circling back to everything you said, I love how your story, the the thread running through it is all around having this brother in your life who, you know, by chance happened in your family. And so you had firsthand exposure to the good, the bad, and the ugly of, mm-hmm. of being a sibling, because there would have been things that you heard and saw that broke your heart and made you really, really mad. It was just <laughs> hands down would have. Right. Um, and, you know, feeling like the protective big sister, I'm sure Absolutely. that came up a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot. Um, sometimes you got to reel yourself back in. Cause I often like to say, um, you know, what you don't, you don't want mama bear to come out. Cause if she comes out, she doesn't play. She bites, <laughs> she will maul you. <laughs> there are times that I kind of have to reel her back in and think, okay, hang on, hang on. Is this really who I want to be in this moment? Is this going to progress things or create an understanding or compassion? Or I, I just going to make this poor human being feel awful. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna do some irreparable damage. Help it though. Yes, we're those that we're that mama bear. (laughs) That's right. It's totally this protective instinct is so strong. Um, And I love, 
I love how you speak about your brother with such pride, with such joy, with passion, with kindness. And it is just who you are because you chose to spend your life in your working life in this community. And now you've brought your own children and your husband along to all these things. I'm pretty sure they're like, Oh, really mom, do I have to go again? (laughs) But nevertheless, they too have the exposure and exposure in an organization like special Olympics means you get to see the best of humanity, kindness, gentleness, compassion, encouragement. You get to see people who struggle all the time succeed. And you get to be witness to that. You know, I certainly have gotten to be witness to that. And it's so profound. I mean, you hold your breath, literally, you're like, please, please just be able to do this. Please catch that ball or please hit that ball or please strike one of those pins and I want to cheer for you so bad. Right. And it's a it's a collective feeling in the community, right? You hold your breath and you really hope for the best. And you also learn how to handle the disappointments. And sometimes, frankly, I learn it from them. They've had lots of disappointments and struggles and failures, and they often have really good coping skills that many of us who are able-bodied and neurotypical do not have. And there's some that's very humbling to be in the presence of that kind of skill set. And I love that you share this as a journey. It's a journey of love for you, Mm -hmm. right? And it's a journey of support and kindness and humility. So tell us now, what's your brother doing these days? What's he up to? As a matter of fact, I'm leaving and as when we finish this podcast and we have our first bocce practice tonight. (laughs) So I'm his partner. He asked me to be his partner again. We didn't do it for about 10 years. And last summer we did it again. And then he asked me again this year. He goes, Will you want to do it again? I'm like, so every Tuesday until the end of August, we are going to be at practice. That is so sweet. I love that you do that. Um, On the sort of flip side of that, one of the things that I love about Special Olympics is it's a place I don't actually have to be with my son. That frankly, he won't let me cross the threshold. He's like, and no. (laughs) And I could be really upset about that. But the reality is it's a place where he feels safe. Normally he wants me with him because he doesn't feel very safe. He's unsure about what's going on or what he's supposed to do, or if he's going to understand people. And so he wants, you know, like a, a child with a a comfort blanket. He wants mom here because mom will make sure that everything is okay. Uh, But for him to turn around at the door and put his hand up and say, no, wow. for me is I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. You have a space, a place that you don't need me. You feel confident and comfortable and okay because everybody in there is doing something different and unique and you just fit in and you don't need me to be there to help you navigate that because you feel comfortable enough to be able to navigate it yourself. And I love that. So Nancy, if people are interested in knowing more about Special Olympics, um, obviously this show is worldwide. Where can they go to find out more information? Well, our national website is just specialolympicsallwrittenout.org. Mm-hmm. And if they're in Minnesota, it's Special Olympics Minnesota, all written out, or they can put somn.org to get to the website. That's and amazing. Information on there. And, and I assume 
If somebody was interested in volunteering, there's a whole process there for that. Or if they wanted to heard something you said there and you're like, we need that in my town, community, city. Um, There's a way for them to find people to see if they could to launch something. Absolutely. So we're we're in all 50 states. We're in 190 countries. Um, There are, I think, over 2000 athletes competing in Germany this week from all those countries. So it's really cool. And I would be remiss if I didn't mentioned that my brother has done the polar plunge over 163 times. He would be really angry with me if I didn't mention Over 163 (laughs) times. Now, before we go, tell us what that is and why that's significant. Okay. So the polar plunge is when crazy, wonderful people (laughs) put on funny costumes um, or just or just shorts and t-shirt and jump into a frozen lake in the middle of winter in Minnesota. I, a lot of our states do it, but Minnesota is definitely one of our biggest fundraisers. And so he would do the super plunge. I think he's done it five times and that's 24 times in 24 hours. And he did it with the, the, this group down in Rochester, Minnesota that kind of adopted him as an athlete. And he just started doing it with them. And uh, uh, so he had, and you have, <laughs> In order to have the privilege of jumping that many times in 24 hours, you have to raise at least three thousand dollars. <laughs> so every year he'd go, "Oh, Nancy, there's no way I can't. I can't. I'll never really raise that much money." I go, "Dave, you did. You raised nine thousand last year. I think you're gonna." And because people would find out he was doing it, and just mm-hmm. amazing how the dollars came in. So, um, so that's a, so we did over five million dollars this year in our with our polar plunges wow. huge huge record that we've never ever come close to and so would it be amazing or interesting if people could people host a fundraiser if they wanted to do something to fundraise some money for special olympics um as, as long as they contacted the whatever state office that they're with yes they can certainly do that kind of thing we have a lot of like golf golf tournaments that will say, Hey, we're going to do this. And we want to give the money to you. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that we can raise money for special Olympics. And now that COVID COVID is passed, now athletes are coming back to competitions. And Mm -hmm. um, so it's really, really important that we keep those funds coming in. Absolutely. And of course I would be remiss myself if I didn't mention that as a legacy, this is such an, it's a legacy organization, Mm -hmm. but if this is resonating with someone in the audience, this is something this is something you can pick up and do. This can be a legacy that you are a part of um, in terms of connecting with Special Olympics, maybe hosting fundraisers, maybe uh, becoming a volunteer, looking to see how you can support them. If you're in the school system, there is those united teams. Um, and if that's interesting to you, if you're a parent and you say, like, I would really love to see that for my child, contact your local. Um, Special Olympics office and then contact your school. It just takes one person to say yes and amazing things can happen. So if this is resonating with you as a legacy, this is an incredible legacy to be a part of. I love how you said this, Nancy. It's not just an organization. It's a movement of inclusion. And when we include more people, of a wide variety of backgrounds, of differing abilities, skill sets, languages, you name it. We just become better human beings. Absolutely. We do. There is no way to not be a better human being when you surround yourself and value all of these incredible differences and uniqueness in people. I mean, how boring would the world be if we were all the same? Like, really? If everybody was like me, I would irritate myself to death. (laughs) 
Well, I'd be like, oh God, I don't even want to talk to that woman anymore. <laughs> so funny. Right? Well, you, like, well, you, mentioned the, you mentioned the one yes making the big difference. Well, if Dave hadn't said yes 19 years ago, he would not be where he is today. So interesting. And I wonder if you would be where you are. Probably not. How interesting a thought, hey? It's that power of that one yes. Mm -hmm. And so um, now, folks, if you haven't yet fallen in love with Nancy, like (laughs) I have, I don't know what more I can do to inspire this because this story is so, both of the stories, the story of your brother, the story of your most recent experience, like how Mm -hmm. glorious for these two kids. And even more than that, how glorious for all the people who participated in creating that experience for these two young people, Absolutely. right? How amazing. What stories do they get to go home and tell to their family and friends and how they participated in this? And, and, you know, you get to, I don't know, it's like rubbing on the genie, right? You get to rub <laughs> off some of that awesomeness onto yourself, right? You rub the genie bottle and you get your wish. But in this case, they were part of creating the wish, but you cannot help but be inspired by that. The ripple effects of that take you into life. And my dad used to have a saying um, that I love and I've taken it. I've always said this. And he says, you know, the world is filled with kind and nice people. All you have to do is let them be nice to you. So again, I would encourage people, if this is resonating with you, go be nice, go be kind to some people who, who truly value and need that support. They do. They apparently need people to chaperone. So, you know, (laughs) that interests you. And after that story, I would think there might be a few who'd be like, oh, that'd be cool. (laughs) Right. They need people to do that who are qualified, trained, all the rest of it. Like, it's not like you just walk in and be like, so I want to get on a plane to Berlin. (laughs) Definitely not quite that simple. But if that interests you, look into it, find out more about it, see how you can be a part of it, because it is important. And what you give back, you get back tenfold. Absolutely. And usually usually everybody that I've talked to, once they volunteer once for any event, they're hooked for life. (laughs) Mm, I totally can see why. Um, We love um, bringing my son to all the Special Olympics events. um, And he hosts, he's part of the fundraisers. And let me tell you, like that kid of mine. He's amazing <laughs> at fundraising. Once he figured out if he was cute, people would give money. He was all over it. <laughs> and, and he's actually very, very skilled because he's quite fearless about it. And, oh, awesome. you know, it's so impressive. And to hear people say, you know, if you're out there doing this thing and clearly it's hard for you, um, then the least I can do is, you know, like here in Canada, we have Tim Hortons. It's a restaurant that does coffee and donuts and they have a donut fundraiser, the inclusion donuts, right? Yeah, I choose to include. And so, um, you know, we go and volunteer for that and people are like, the least I can do is buy all those donuts. (laughs) So, and, and people say that, like you inspire me. So yeah, I wasn't going to get a donut, but I'm going to get this one now. And, you know, thanks. And that's, you know, that's part of it. That's where you get to rub off all the awesomeness, right? You get to be by association. You get to feel good about what you did, where your money went, where your time was spent. For sure. I love that. Um, Nancy, I am sure there are going to be people who listen to this and who think they need more of you too. What would be the best way for them to reach you? 
Well, probably email. I'm on Facebook too, but um, I think let's start, if we start with an email, then maybe we can become Facebook friends after that. So I take my title of Mrs. Minnesota as part of my email. So it's mrsmn04 at gmail.com. So Mrs. Minnesota 04 at gmail.com. Amazing. So again, Nancy, I cannot thank you enough for giving us some of your time. (laughs) I cannot thank you enough for the story for I'm I'm still I still have a runny nose from (laughs) the story about your brother, because that was just extraordinary. And of course, for me personally, it resonates very deeply. Um, And thank you for sharing your perspective as a sibling to someone with disabilities, looking at his life, your family's life, and how that was all going to work out. And then looking at how that whole experience has shaped you into the incredible person you are today, continuing to give back and educate those around you about all of this. And, and now I'm keeping you from your time with your brother. So <laughs> I am bocce ball practice. <laughs> your, your bocce ball practice, because that's very important and, and so significant that he is waiting for you. And I love that that's where you're heading right after this. So again, folks, if I could just highlight in terms of legacy, It doesn't have to be something that requires hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes it just requires a little bit of your time and a willingness to be open to what's available there in front of you. And if this is resonating with you, I highly encourage you to reach out to a local local Special Olympics office, go on the website. I'm sure there's a way to find on the website where there might be someone connected to you. Or frankly, you could pick up the phone or send an email and they'll help guide you to get you to where you need to go. Mm -hmm. But I recommend that you, you really do look into this in some way, shape or form. If it's resonating with you and have that be a part of the legacy you create in the world. Because the more, as I said, the more we share kindness tenfold, it comes back to us as do incredible and unique opportunities you never would have seen coming. Much like Nancy said, she never would have seen this stuff coming, but here it is. Um, And you don't know where that extraordinary journey will take you. So I encourage you to to spend some time and go look into it. Nancy, thank you so much for the gift of your time and your wisdom and that incredible story you just shared. (laughs) I'm going to be smiling about that all night. And I wasn't even there. Um, So thank you so much for that. And enjoy your bocce with your brother tonight. We will connect again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Michelle. Does the thought of follow-up give you a foul taste? Do you find yourself wondering how you can ever stand out from the crowd, but need it to be easy and convenient? With a system like Send Out Cards, you can stay in touch and top of mind with only a few keystrokes. People's inboxes might be full, but their mailboxes are empty. Reach people literally where they live, work, or play, and watch the warm fuzzies go to work for you. See the show notes for a link where you can send your first card on me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.